Test, test, one, two, three. You know who I be. It's your boy, Don Wall, a.k.a. Moral SP. Welcome to another amazing episode of Embrace Matters of Race. Uh, we're back, y'all. It's been a little minute, but we're back. Carl's here. Gabriella's here. How are you guys doing? Solid. Ready for this holiday. Yeah. Really good. Um, <laughs> the holidays kind of came up quick. We kind of lost track of time, though, and we're sorry about that. But uh, we have a very special episode for you guys. But first... I have a shout out. Shout out today goes to Rich Wine. I have a hat from them, and it's my favorite winter hat. Rich Wine was founded by two Virginia natives, Kristen Gardner Beal and Lance Lemon, both graduates of UVA. Shout out UVA. The Wine Boutique, located in the heart of Richmond, carries natural, organic, and biodynamic wines from around the world. Currently, Rich Wine only offers their specialty wines online. And for those in the Richmond area, same-day delivery is available for others or orders before 4 p.m. If you're looking to try something new, Rich Wine also has monthly wine subscriptions with hand-picked selections that come with tasting and pairing notes. Check out Rich Wine at www.richwinerva.com. Check them out. I actually haven't had any wine from there, but I'll, since I have a hat, I might as well get a bottle, right? <laughs> Yeah, and uh, great service. I've uh, I've actually worked with them through some community projects, and they're killer. People love them. Mm. They're not killing anything though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll check that. We'll check that out together. But uh, today's episode, I really want to kind of address. I feel like there's been an elephant in the room, uh, and the elephant is you know this podcast is built on Christian principles. Um, I've, you know, we've quoted, you know, many scriptures, uh, that talk about what our aim is. We've said multiple times in multiple episodes that we believe that what's going to help this country is Christ, you know, is God and his words. Um, if we, you know, submit adhere, uh, really dive in deep to the word of God, we will find the antidote that will cure this country of, any type of hatred, whether it's racism, other type of isms, um, God can help us with those things. But I feel like at the same time, we have never talked about on this podcast about how Christianity as a whole has kind of been kind of like negative a little bit. Like it has some stigmas. Some people have like different gripes with Christianity and I think nowadays is really coming to a forefront of how people feel about Christianity and and how it's had a hand in some negativity too, especially when we talk about racism or African Americans um, and stuff like that. We've never dived into the history, so that, that's that's like the the I guess the motivation here. Um, there's been a a white savior trope that's been um, throughout history has been something that's been leaned upon. Mm-hmm. Um, and what do I mean by that? The white savior trope. It's uh, the main character or protagonist often portrayed as a white hero. Right. So you, you see it mostly nowadays in popular culture. Right. You see it in movies. Um, you know, you see it in the blind side, the green book, um, the help. You, you see it in Freedom Riders or Dangerous Minds, which is basically the same movie, but two different actors, actresses. Um 
You even see it in the Harriet Tubman movie. Uh, it's weird. It was kind of that scene kind of threw me when it happened because it was the villain. It was a white man who was a villain and he was trying to kill Harriet, but he saved her from somebody else just to then be the antagonist again. Like he kind of switched sides for half a second and then like became the villain again. It was weird. But yeah, so like, I guess, what do you guys think about the white savior trope? I guess, how do you, how do you see it in today's culture? Um, I, I, I think for me, um, I didn't even recognize how much of like a pillar it ha- is in our society. Oftentimes, because it's so normal, especially in pop culture, like you just listed off movies, that's just common, you know, like mm-hmm. growing up watching movies or watching shows or like reading stories and books that was just the common denominator um and so i'm really interested to even talk more about how this like pertains to like christianity too mm. um and diving deeper into that what do you think carl yeah it's 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 so residual from you know a place where we were oppressed as a people or a people of color have been impre- oppressed and then it turns into a story where it's recentering the conversation around who who matters and that 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 narrative and so if you think about like pop culture or if you think about even the history of christianity or even how people have you know taken the mission to use christianity or use their position to be the one to be the one who does this for these these lesser people um, or these other people um, and hear stories about why people can't go to islands anymore but they still try mm. um, you hear about bringing it to tribes bringing it to um, different communities when it's it may or may not be needed the help um, but it's about who's helping and it's conflicting sometimes mm. i'm really conflicted yeah, that's fair. Um, I feel the same. Like, just sometimes it'll be conflicting, especially when it comes to uh, being up in arms at times about the injustice that happens in America. Then it's like, uh, I have a hard time with making sure that the Christianity and the causes that happen are one and the same. Um, I mean, it's, it's better now, but <laughs> at first it was hard to kind of juggle both because they were two separate things. Um, but yeah, so we have a special guest, y'all listening. We have a special guest here. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have, uh, everyone give a round of applause. We won't be able to hear your hand claps, but round of applause for Gabe Santos. Clap, 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 clap. Can you hear them, Gabe? Can you hear them? Hello, I hear it. I hear it. (laughs) Welcome to the show, man. Um, yeah, so I, I just want to jump right into it, man. Um, first, first off, before we get into the the nitty gritty stuff, I guess, wh- why would, like, who are you <laughs> and what makes you, uh, I guess, knowledgeable about these topics? Well, like you said, my name's Gabe or, well, Gabriel. I was, my name, my given name's Gabriel Santos. So I'm, I'm a Venezuelan born uh, in Caracas, Venezuela. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, my, my, um, my entry 
into this uh, into this area. Uh, I, I think probably of life and of thinking. I mean, so it's it's personal in, in that I you know I entered this country as an immigrant when I was elementary school age. Still spent a lot of time in, in Latin America, but you know I grew up in immigrant communities primarily with Haitian, Jamaican, Nicaraguan, Cuban, and quite a bit of Colombians. At the time when I was growing up, actually in Miami, Florida, there weren't that many Venezuelans, uh, at least compared to, to those other uh, immigrant groups or ethnicities. Now they've pretty, they've almost like <laughs> they've like flooded certain areas north of Miami to the point where the, the streets are named after Venezuelan you know celebrities and things like that. It's kind of it's pretty funny. Anyway, uh, but I was always fascinated with that because there was quite a lot of ethnic conflict in Miami when I grew up there. There was still a lot of tension between the Marielitos, the, you know, folks who came in the Mario Boatlift uh, from Cuba. Obviously, all the tension with uh, which is virtually constant uh, between you know Cuban immigrants and uh, what was going on, anything that happened to be going on in Cuba, uh, and their attempt to either topple Castro or even uphold and extend. Uh, some of what was going on there or attempts to bring family there. So all those kinds of, and, and then and then on top of that, conflicts with, you know, incoming Haitian immigrants uh, and others, um, they were all, in a, we were all sort of in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a rat race, as it were, to get a piece of the pie. So when I, when I did enter college, I was driven to learn more about the roots of those conflicts and, uh, and to learn about it. At first, it was more so I was just concerned with juvenile, you know, with juvenile violence and conflicts, things that, that I lived in and around and participated in. And then after that, it's through that that I learned a good bit more about, especially the, the history of race and, and ethnicity and the construction of race in the U.S. In fact, I think that the whole process of, 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 of remaining in academia beyond the master's level into the Ph.D. level was what I think what many perhaps I imagine people of color have said uh, is, a, is a highly whitening experience, uh, which may sound controversial mm-hmm. to some, but I, I think that it was when, uh, if it were not for the fact that my mentors, my, my mentor at the PhD level would happen to be a Cuban. Uh, prior to that, it was, it was mostly, you know, Euro, you know, Anglo-European folks, but I had a, I had a Cuban mentor who kind of opened up uh, the fact that uh, to me that this was something that, um, uh, that didn't have to be the case. Uh, so he, he helped in many ways kind of get back in touch and appreciate uh, the, the kind of sort of diverse perspectives that I can bring to things because of my immigrant experience and not just simply adopting one particular right way, which perhaps we would kind of call Eurocentric uh, way mm-hmm. of understanding and analyzing things. So that, that helped me appreciate yet again what I could bring to the table from my experience as an immigrant and, uh, and, and be able to listen you know, empathically and openly and, and receptively to uh, to what's going on with others, and of course, and since I've become a, a Christian, that that uh, that of course has grown in a whole number of ways. So hopefully, hopefully that captures what you're asking. Most definitely, yeah, so- solid. Yeah, most definitely. How has how has race impacted your relationship with God? Gosh, it's hard, it's hard to answer that in a kind of in a straightforward way. It's <laughs> it's obviously had a lot of um, it's had a, quite a lot of impact. Um, of course, first and foremost, through my relationships. Um, it's, it's um, as I said, g- growing up, um, uh, when I was growing up in Miami, um, the, the, first, the, the first, you could say, kind of racially um, or ethnically diverse image of God that I ever encountered was primarily through Rastafarians, uh, because I had quite a, quite a lot of friends that were Rastas. So I would go to a lot of these events with them, um, what you know, down there is called sound system clashes. 
and uh, and and th there would be quite a lot of Rastas, you know what I mean, in the back. Now, of course, considering that they believe Pali Selassie, you know, to be uh, the you know the Christ in his kingly character, the second coming of Christ, but in this case, a black Christ, uh, decidedly black Christ. Uh, Pali Selassie was responsible for uh, reinvigorating Coptic Christianity in Ethiopia. Um, and of course, then the people of Jamaica, upon his visit, uh, just simply, um, uh, you know, simply rejoiced uh, from their perspective. This was the this is the coming black king. Um, so I, I heard a lot about that uh, growing up, um, and I didn't really know quite know what to think of it. Um, I never really took much of a step outside of of, of that perspective because I think as I was immersed in it, uh, only after I became a Christian did I. Did I begin to actually assume, you know what, there, there could actually be some unity here. We can actually mm. live together <laughs> because up, up to this point, I did not see much evidence for life together. Uh, I saw mostly evidence of a tense conflict uh, and strife filled uh, existence, uh, which th there was a point at which I was bordering atheism because I really didn't think that God was actively doing anything in that in that area of of the world. Um, once I became a Christian, I, I did actually see many different ethnic groups, especially in that congregation in Miami, um, in, in the yeah, in the South Florida Church of Christ, that that lived together and that were happy about it. You know, that wanted to see it happen. They assumed that they were reconciled and they and they wanted to actually live into that reality. Uh, so that has been highly formative uh, for me. What what now I think in you know. It, in particular, in the past 10 years, maybe more pronounced way since Ferguson. Uh, and now in the past couple of years, you know, I've, I've noticed that there's quite a bit of wounds uh, and brokenness among uh, fellow brothers and sisters, especially of color, that, um, that, that need healing. And if the church is actually going to be a place where these fellow brothers and sisters actually can find healing through God and with the help of these relationships, then there's more learning. <laughs> that needs to happen, um, uh, and uh, and that's that's I think a good way of summing up where it's come to to this point. Yeah, most of. Um, you guys have any questions before we move into the? Yeah, um, I think this is a great conversation, and maybe something we can pick up on much uh, not much later, but soon after um, we record here. But I'm wondering. You mentioned healing, and that's actually one of the, the foundations of this podcast. What have been some of the healing or any anything that you've seen have been around healing over the last two years since this country's been in a, a bit volatile? Yeah. Um, and, and you're asking that with respect to um, the, the church body specifically or as, or as a whole? Um, or the, all of the above. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that one that stands out to me is the um, I think uh, it, it's healing in developing a certain level of trust where um, someone could actually speak about share about mm. something that has pained them, uh, something that where especially in the area of, of I haven't actually felt like I belong completely mm -hmm. in this world. Um, I, I, I haven't. And well, at least in the case of some who, you know, who, who may be Christian, right? They, they say, I, I'm glad that I belong to Christ and to, and to the body of Christ. But this pain still strikes at the heart of my sense of trust. Uh, and therefore, it affects my faith. 
and not being able to talk about that uh, either because it you know it will it, you, you may receive a pat answer like hey things are better you know or hey um, you know if your faith is strong enough or if you see all the things that God has to offer you you won't be caught up with that um, it, it won't it won't pull you under um, um, whatever the case may be I think that there needs to be a way that, that just as a psalmist does uh, in, in in the scriptures, there's a way of being able to actually bring your entire range of emotions uh, before God and not necessarily here, you know, to pour it out before every single person so that they will do the healing, but so that you believe I'm part of a group of people. And I think this is the witness that the church brings to the world is that we can all pour this out. You know, and th those who have something relevant and important to say can actually pour that out. And it's part of our larger life before God. It's part of our worship before God. Um, and, uh, and, and it, that's what sets the terms of that kind of sharing. I, I think that that is, um, I mean, that's, that's one area. It's just simply receptive and trusting communication so that it could be taken up in, in worship and independence on God. Um, yeah. <clears throat> uh, appreciate you sharing your heart there, bro. Uh, Gabrielle, you have a question? <laughs> I was just going to say, like, I, I think what, I'm kind of gleaming from what you just said, Gabe, is like a collective healing, which is yeah. something that I often don't think is fully like tangible. Yeah. I think that like we all have to take our own journey of healing. And um, even, but even you mentioning that you were on, you know, a verge of being becoming an atheist um, at one point in your life. And I think a lot of people that, I know after the past two years, we're on the verge of that as well. Yeah. Um, and, and it was like, a, a, like definitely like a, a combination of a lot of different variables, um, race being one of them. Yeah. Um, but also iso isolation and distance and, and all those things. Yeah. And how, how important do you think, like you kind of talked about it, but how important do you think the body is in like helping people walk through problems about race and a bunch of other different variables at moments like this. Like we're going to talk about the history um, in a moment, but I think that it's important to note that like we can't do this on our own. Like healing mm -hmm. is not yeah. a singular thing. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That, that, that's a great, that's a great comment and a great question. Um, I, I agree, uh, especially to the extent that. Um, Many of the, I think the, the the attempts and especially you could say a journey that 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 we could take and, and in particular here uh, people of color uh, for healing, um, it, it is one of the things that that is most trying and difficult for me is is uh, is the fact that we don't really know much about how to build community in North America. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, I agree, and uh, and and uh, so. We, uh, in other words, we, we're much more, uh, I think, um, it, right, we, some, some, we're much more at the mercies of powers that and forces that divide us rather than unite us. So, of course, what that causes is that people find themselves in a starting point that is much more isolated than connected. And it's a truism that proximity breeds trust and isolation breeds distrust, <laughs> um, especially when it comes to, you know, to something like bodily presence or at least just human communication. 
Um, so the level of isolation that we unfortunately uh, encourage by, in one case, right, a lot of that has to do with uh, right, some technological forms, right, of engagement that uh, both can bridge us, but can also fulfill us, um, can distract us, uh, can provide some kind of temporary satisfaction, um, right, uh, that, that uh, only then dissipates after time. Um, that's where... Um, I think, as you said, Gabriela, the, the, that that's where it's it's. Um, we I think we find it very difficult to gauge where do I do this on my own, because there is a place for that, and then there's a place where I must do it with others. Uh, one, because maybe the weight of carrying this on my own is just something that no human being could bear, uh, which I think is true uh, for many. But there's other cases where there's actually things I just simply can't figure out unless I'm plugged into the wisdom of several others. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's how God mm. has, has, has kind of designed it in a sense to be. Um, yeah. Yeah. Appreciate that. Well, let's, um, let's dive into uh, some of the history here. Um, yeah. Where, so let's start here. <laughs> let's start here. Uh, how did colonization impact Christianity? Let's start there. Oh, wow. Um, well, uh, yeah, that, that, there are books written on this topic. Uh, so if, 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 I, if I were to tease out uh, a few of the factors involved, um, there's a number of things that the colonial period, I mean, we could call it, for example, the age of discovery, discovery of course, in, in scare quotes, um, you know, dating back to the 15th, 14th century. Um, and then in that world, I think they inherited a number of inclinations, practices, and dispositions when it came to um, uh, one's standing or place in the world. Um, so, I mean, at that point, especially after the Dark Ages into the Middle Ages, uh, there, that's, you know, here we're talking about the late Middle Ages, even this is prior to the Reformation. You know, the, the Catholic Church has already amassed quite a lot of land, quite a bit of power, you could say, uh, and political clout, especially in Europe. Um, never mind, because this is also, or, or, you know, and I say that, of course, facetiously, never mind the fact that there's already been a, a pretty firm break when it comes to relations between what eventually became Eastern Christianity, Christianity, uh, Coptic Christianity, Georgian, Armenian, Arabic, <laughs> Syrian, all of those, right, areas in which the, right, the, the faith spread aren't right we we in the west we kind of sometimes think what we didn't even know that existed you know mm. or uh, you know uh, other 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 um communities of faith in some of these areas of especially northern africa and and below and and into right the, the mid mid east and the, and the far east and into asia beyond that um so of course we have kind of a concentrated perspective that comes from a lot of writers and thinkers just in europe uh and uh and and, and the surrounding area um and so when 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 especially the age of expansion and empire, uh, we, we, you don't have to go very far, right, to, to find out information from even the way that Christopher Columbus perceived uh, the, the peoples of, right, the Caribbean, or Hispaniola, mm. as it, call, it was called then, um, to get some idea of what kind of vision of the world that they had adopted. Um, and, uh, mm. and, and so colonialism did start to create, and I think part of this is, is, a, is, a, is a great benefit of the work of Willie James Jennings, where he kind of is that, that there was a sort of reorientation of space, right? Now, when you looked at the world, 
it seemed like you were now looking at bodies that revolved around a centerpiece of bodies. And that centerpiece of the body was a white body, uh, right? Mm -hmm. There's all these other bodies that start to, in some ways, be measured up against this, this body. Um, and uh, of course, when you're expanding from one place using large amounts of resources to go and enter other lands, um, and you enter those lands not as one who's willing to listen and learn or see God speak to them through these peoples, um, you are missing something that's fairly crucial <laughs> about the gospel. Mm. Um, uh, I mean, in fact, you, you, you could just simply read the beginning of the gospel of Luke and get some notion there that Jesus learned from his ancestors, right? His parents found him talking and interacting uh, and both fielding questions, answering questions, and asking questions um, um, with the right, the elders of his people. Um, I think it's in, yeah, in Luke two forty. Uh, so, uh, and 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 in particular here for those of us who maybe you know are not right, do, do not claim our ancestry with with Jews, right? We know that we ourselves right have been added to the faith uh, through grace. But this kind of um, unfortunately, colonialism brought a sort of, I'll call it savage benevolence, um, right? The idea is that we, because it's tied to a civilizing project, we are not just simply going into these lands in order to, well, interact and learn from these peoples. But in fact, we're entering in order to appropriate their land, in order to mm. find out the potential, the developmental potential of this land. Um, and anyone who gets in the way is inferior, Right. Anyone who is not on board with this civilizational project is inferior. Uh, and, and, and I suppose that this is a right. This is one major way in which that kind of distortion um, right, uh, completely perverts uh, the good news and therefore makes it bad news <laughs> to mm -hmm. those in, on the receiving end of these kinds of colonial um, these kind of colonial projects, uh, because uh, to them, uh, there hasn't really been. Uh, much of any relational right uh, acceptance, love, uh, you know, none, none of that has necessarily been established. And so colonialism did, and, and all the while, colonialism, I should say, has already assumed quite a lot of baggage from the medieval and ancient world, in particular, the importance of genealogical descent, um, right? And the, and, the, and the whole notion of the purity of genealogical descent. I mean, that's one reason why the Hebrew Bible has so many genealogies, uh, and in particular, right, also Matthew 1 and Luke 1. They were concerned with, am I connected to my people? That's one concern. <laughs> it's another to then claim that one, right, uh, you could say one lineage or one, one line of genealogical descent is superior to another. <laughs> Um, acknowledging that there's a whole lot of different ones is one thing. Acknowledging that, that or making the claim that one is superior to the other is, is, is tough. And in the ancient world, that was very, very common, right? Odysseus was considered the Zeus-sired son of Laertes. Alexander the Great was the son of the god Zeus Ammon. Um, Augustus was believed to be the son of, of the god Apollo. When anyone could make a claim of, I'm linked to this progenitor, I'm linked to this origin, it really did dignify them. Uh, and in particular in the ancient world, and this is what in many ways colonialism ripped apart, was you, you were tied to your land. The farther you moved away from your land and the more you mixed with peoples away from your land, the more impure you appeared to be. The more tainted you had become, the more you had sullied your ancestral line. 
Um, so this kind of concern has not gone away. It's just simply morphed. Right? It's just simply yeah. taken on different shapes. And in colonialism, considering that right, the, the vast uh, right, the, the the vast resources of the empire are are primarily concentrated in in Europe, not Jerusalem. <laughs> I mean, not, not the Near East, which is where Jesus of Nazareth is from. Um, right, that that adds yet again to this weird alienation or estrangement effect, where Jesus is now no longer a Jewish man; he's no longer a Palestinian Jew. He is some kind of universal figure, completely detached from an actual body. And, and I think the idea during the, especially during that period, was that we need to make Jesus as universal as possible, so we'll strip him of all kinds of ethnic particulars. So that the universal reach of Christ will be that much more obvious. Um, that was, of course, joined with all kinds of what we would consider to be highly unchristian uh, <laughs> modes of coercion, expansion, development, building, right? And and you know, and that's not even saying anything about about uh, killing and unpaid labor and, and so forth. Um, yeah. Uh, and even in some of these lands uh, based genocide. Um, yeah. You can see how a number of these factors are all working together. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that um, that was actually my next question, bro. Just um, going into how did like the Bible impact the like the beginning of America or the beginning or the, the building yeah. of America? Yeah, when when the in the in the colonies, um, uh, in the original 13 colonies, you could you could only have a, a church if it was approved by England. So we really only have Congregationalist and Anglican churches. What's interesting about those churches, and and, and of course, you know, we know the Puritans had a, a very prominent place. Uh, you know, Puritan pietism, that that kind of deeply felt, right, heart-centered faith. Um, it's admirable in a lot of ways. Funny enough, you will never find uh, when you go to these places like in Williamsburg and other sites where they'll have reproductions of, of, um, of, of colonial homes, you won't find mm -hmm. images of Jesus. Uh, right? uh, they, actually, they actually did not believe in making images of Jesus. They, they thought, by and large, I'm generalizing, that, that trying to make an image of Jesus was... Uh, the equivalent of violating the first commandment, which of course forbids making graven images of God, uh, of, of Yahweh, um, if I may say that. Um, so th they simply extended that same <laughs> prohibition to Jesus. Don't make any images of Jesus. Mm. Uh, so on the one hand, that there's, there's I think there's, that's, uh, I suppose, right, it's a great expression of faith, uh, right, again, or, or, or of piety and devotion. Um, at the same time, it, it also fails to acknowledge that this Jesus that you worship is not from there. Uh, he's, he's, he's not from the land of America. He's not from that land. He came from elsewhere. And your relationship with this Jesus of Nazareth has, uh, is, is something that is, is the joining together of two peoples that would otherwise be completely foreign to each other. Um, mm. So that's how it began. Um, there eventually became the influence, of course, of Renaissance art. Many of the images that I think we find, we see on right in, in, in on, on, online of baby Jesus with Mary uh, from the Renaissance, almost all right. Very obvious features that are mostly European or, or Anglo-European, um, including those of you know the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. Even all the angels, you know, are fair-skinned um, uh, and uh, and blonde-haired, perhaps. 
Um, so those images were eventually kind of imported primarily through the Catholic faith uh, into the, the colonial period. And then, of course, once once the, the slave trade picks up, uh, what's the first contact that a number of these slaves have? Well, yeah, they have it with with masters, slave traders and um, and other ministers that either live or near or in plantations who speak of this. Right. This this Jesus, this saving God um, who is superior to any of the gods that they that they have learned about. And it's strictly tied to the same civilized, right, civilizational project, um, mm -hmm. or even maybe it's better put as a verb. It's a civilizing project. We're both saving you and civilizing you by teaching you about this Jesus. Um, and as is now known, right, there, there were slave Bibles, um, right, these sort of right, uh, heavily edited, <laughs> redacted, uh, right, versions of the Bible. Of course, mm. you keep out the book of Exodus. Why would you want to give a group of slaves a story about slaves being liberated right. uh, by this God? Um, mm. and, uh, and and that, so that's how it first enters. Um, and there are a number of slaves that end up learning how to read primarily through being taught by some kind of, I suppose, well-meaning mistress or even the children of slave masters who go and teach right, um, some slaves how to read. And often, in many cases, will use Bibles to do that. Um, uh, all the while, the entire theological system, and this is uh, here, I'll just simply extend it, you know, from beyond the colonial period into the expansion, right, uh, the growth of the South, um, right, the, the, the South uh, and, and it's especially the cotton industry is completely built on the backs of, of these slaves. Um, and there are some slaves that now can take up right, prominent positions as preachers in their own communities. Uh, we already know about many of the Negro spirituals. Um, right, some of which were right uh, ways of uh, that, that both celebrated biblical stories, especially of yeah. something like Wade in the Water of the Exodus, but did so in a, in a way that that was considered incognito, <laughs> barely mm. detectable or undetectable to, to slave owners. Uh, in fact, the the the, that, the the music that was sung by the right by the, the slaves uh, mixed in elements of African uh, of their own African roots, and often I think you know, the slave owners saw that as oh they're simply hooping and hollering and dancing and celebrating according to their you know to their ancestral uh, customs um but there was a pretty amazing right uh I, I think sort of sort of cultural uh infusion um and uh an admixture of of ancient african ancestral customs and dance with these stories of the bible um and, and so that's how it worked its way in and and there there are you know brian bantam has a, has a great uh, study in Redeeming Mulatto, um, uh, where he actually quotes baptismal oaths uh, from the you know, early, um, from the early um, 18, 18th century uh, and, and even beyond into the 19th century, uh, where um, the slave getting baptized uh, vows not to uh, disobey his master. Uh, so all that is is wrapped up into their baptismal oath. Uh, sadly, right, you could see how that that entire hierarchy gets worked into uh, into the the sort of theological system uh, that's in place. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, um, that's a that's an interesting timeline, <laughs> um, a very interesting timeline, and it makes me think that. A lot of times when we, I mean, stepping stepping away from the history for a second. Yeah. A lot of times 
it's it's our own motivations that impact the effect of things. Um, it's our own narratives or motivations that yeah. uh, poison good things, you know, i.e., you know, the, the gospel, the good news, you know, um, saying like, hey, like if they came to the Americas with the motivation of taking, claiming this land for my own and learning as much as I can of how to yield this land to my own, uh, my own comeuppance, you know, my own come up making money off of this land, then using the Bible to subdue that land makes sense. Um, although it's not right, like you said, but it it makes, it makes sense that that would be why I think a lot of people, uh, especially our listeners and people that I talk to, I feel like they get, they slip up on the why, like why was it used that way? Because Christians aren't supposed to be like that. Um, and you know, different time, um, not to be an excuse, but, uh, I think there was a lot of misrepresentation um, throughout history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that brings us to our next question, too. I feel like even that, yeah, like, like you both said, that timeline shows a lot about just the kind of, I guess the word is corruption, but it's like, accepted corruption um, and acceptance of evil for the sake of personal gain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the next question we have is like, how do you feel racism and Christianity like coexisted for so long? Um, you already talked a lot about that in that timeline, but like what did the communities of color feel about this? And how do you think white people felt or justify this coexistence? Yeah, that the, uh, yeah, 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 it does. Um, yeah, it's a great question. I, the uh, one of the reasons I think why it they were able to coexist uh, for this long. Um, I mean, one of, of course is there's great comfort that comes <laughs> from uh, establishing something, um, having it work, um, and um, even when it comes at tremendous cost. Um, in fact, if we were to go back to that very first, uh, or to the, maybe you could say that that uh, abiding impulse that runs from the ancients to now, this kind of idea that there's this connected purity to my belonging. Right? I can belong to something that's on top. I can belong to something that's dignified, that's acknowledged, right? That is that is not shameful. In fact, I mean, so so much right of what God uh, is is promising to do through the Israelites is besides redeem them, right, and bring a covenant that into the world that people will embrace from the heart that will connect God with people, uh, is to wipe away their shame, <laughs> uh, is to restore their dignity. Uh, it's not as if God is going around right stealing people's dignity. He made them as the image of God. That that's one of the reasons why. Racism can can sometimes be very very well summed up by the statement it's hatred for the image of God, um, uh, but th- there is some incredibly deep satisfaction that human beings get when they believe that I have built up a way of life 
where I'm connected, I belong, I'm pure. That is, this is not sullied. People can it, it maintain some kind of integrity, uh, even despite adversity, even despite right, challenges from the outside. Um, and um, and and it it is it is tragic and sad that that somehow right the that that project of civilizing people uh, was married to the Christian faith. Um, and uh, in fact, it, I mean, they were married so intimately that it. I mean, I mean, it, we're talking it built an enormous edifice, uh, right? That extends across nations and, and countries and, and across time um, by by convincing folks that this is the best way uh, to live. Um, and if we can isolate you as long as po- you know, as long as, as possible without inquiring about what uh, you know, without without inquiring about what other dimensions of the faith could we be missing, um, then, yeah, it's, it's a recipe for something that will continue. Uh, this is particularly true with this whole notion of universalizing Jesus um, and create, which uh, I think the universalized Jesus is the white Jesus, uh, right? Is, is the white Christ um, who, well, if that's the image of Christ that also has behind it tremendous coercive power uh, such that will kill me, <laughs> I should probably follow along um, and uh, which is also the most tragic and one of the saddest things about it. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, that's in, in, especially among people of color and African-Americans, especially in the post reconstruction yeah. period in the, in the early United States, th- there was already all kinds of subversive right tactics, both from the Negro spirituals, uh, right. Uh, other forms of subversion uh, among um, among slaves. And then especially those who were freed, freed uh, right, women and men um, who also, right, uh, in, in the Harlem Renaissance, 1920s and 30s, uh, that was a, a, right, a creative explosion um, from the African-American community in that area. Uh, clearly, obviously, what we have now, we've inherited now in, in the areas of music, uh, right, jazz, and, and then in particular poetry uh, is, is, is very much indebted to that period of time, some of which actually challenged the notion directly challenged the notion of a white Christ. Um, the County Cullen's famous, you know, poem, uh, The Black Christ. Uh, I mean, that had to have turned people's heads <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. at the time, because to, to think that Jesus was not blonde haired, blue eyed, well, would have been considered, you know, I- insane. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and um, W.E.B. Du Bois, you know, uh, he, he, uh, he published a book called Dark Water, uh, which is a series of a series of essays. It's actually, it's a common, you know, it's a, it's a common domain book. You can get it for free as an ebook. There's a story in it called Jesus Christ in Texas. Uh, and, and it's, um, and it's, it's, it's very, very good in depicting how Jesus goes and visits this family in Texas. And he's always referred to as a stranger <laughs> in the, in the story, um, mm. who compassionately engages a runaway slave. Um, but these kinds of stories turned out to be a way of, hey, we are going to push back against the white Christ because the white Christ isn't the Christ that we read of in the Gospels. The white Christ is actually some kind of caricature that's used to prop up these other mechanisms of securing life, of keeping convenience or comfort or wealth. Uh, going in the same direction, 
right? And with the same yeah. set of, uh, I think in particular, right, same set of, uh, I guess, advantages and privileges and so forth. Um, yeah. So these stories really did make uh, these, and poetry, either from Langston Hughes, um, uh, uh, County Cullen, um, W.B. Du Bois, gave some notion that, that, not necessarily saying that Jesus Christ is black, but that Jesus Christ most certainly is black in the sense that he is aligned more with the experiences and his compassion there that much more so with the people of color uh, rather than the white Christ. Yeah, which I mean, that, that has me even thinking of the impact of that image of the white Christ, as you were saying, um, even turn a lot of African-Americans away from the Christian faith completely. Yes. Um, a lot of time I mean, you still have people today saying that Christianity is a, a white man's religion. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, but it didn't come from England. You know, it didn't come from Europe. <laughs> you know, Christianity came from from <laughs> Africa. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it just. There's it's, been so much distortion. Yeah, there's been so yeah, much distortion yeah. and so much cloudiness of what the the truth about Jesus is has been impacted by uh, the same type of hatred and racism that we see today has even infiltrated, you know, this, the mindset of, you know, the, the clarity of what we can see with Christ. I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was going to say, it just goes to show how um, important imagery is. Like mm -hmm. when, when you were talking about Gabe, um, the image of, you know, Mary and Jesus and a blue eyed, like blonde haired Jesus. I remember I was like a kid in art class one time and this girl that was a little bit older than me was painting Jesus and Mary for some reason. And I looked at her and I said, well, how do you know Jesus had green eyes? And how do you know Mary had blue eyes? She's like, that's just, we know this. And as a kid, I remember being really, really confused, mm. but then like internalizing that as a fact. And so, yeah, that just kind of reminded me of that, that story. And I think, um, even going deeper into that and how it has almost helped build, like you were talking about almost this racial food chain. Um, yeah. How do you think going kind of back to what we were talking about and, and, and stop me guys, if you don't want me to touch on this yet, sorry, Go for it. <laughs> but going back to what we were talking about in the beginning about healing too, how do you like break that, through that imagery that's been so like imprinted on our minds to show people, especially people that are coming to Christ or people that have that assumption that this is a white man's religion. How do you break through those barriers and really showcase who Christ is, what the Bible really says? Like how, how do you feel like we can do that? You do that. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great, great, great question. Um, uh, I mean, there, there are, um, well, let me, let me put it, I guess this way that one in the area of images, uh, and art, right. We already see, of course, there's, there's some, there's, there's been a number of ways in which that that's already begun. You know, those examples of the Harlem Renaissance. Um, it, it's interesting that, that, for instance, that, that the poetry, the art, uh, that came out of that period. Uh, is is quite right. Is is very well known, um, but at the same time, you do consider, you know, like the the famous Warmer Salmon Head of Christ uh, uh, painting, 
um, I think many of you know, maybe know what I'm talking about. I think what 500 million images of that Warner Salmon piece by, uh, of Jesus. Uh, in fact, I think I had it um, up. Yeah, I mean, this is, if you can see it there. I mean, th this is the one that yeah. you'll see in the, in the foyer of many a, a church building. Um, <laughs> I know it well. I know it very well. Yeah, very, very well. <laughs> Um, that, that, now that was painted, that was 1940. So this is after, right. The, the Harlem Renaissance that was painted in 1940, 500 million images since. Um, so there, there is a way in which even our own artistic expressions can go in a different direction. Number two, there are places, there, there are ways in which we do, uh, need to, uh, in my faith, I need to take more seriously the role of race and place. Um, uh, right. And, and well, and I should maybe add the word space too, <laughs> space, place and race, you know, and where they interact. It, it is it is quite compelling to me that so often uh, there are situations that are um, uh, that concern racial conflict uh, or racial tension. And it involves someone being, quote, in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, I don't think that's a mistake. <laughs> right. Or, or I should say accidental is maybe the better way of putting it. Um, th there are ways in which, man, space matters. Uh, people matter where they live. Uh, the way that segregation, uh, racial segregation is energized, uh, in the words of Willie James Jennings, by racial segregation, uh, by spatial segregation, is, is something that a disciple of Jesus ought to, uh, ought to actually think about. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and those, those, those do matter. Um, I think there may be for some people, and maybe this is quite controversial because this, this applies to whether somebody identifies as Anglo-European you know, or, uh, or African-American um, or Latino, um, is the idea that I, I, there's, something, there's something ethnically or racially pure about me, or I have to protect some kind of ethnic purity or even a national purity which I think is still comes up in contemporary discourse. You have to protect America from such and such criticisms or from such and such truth telling. I'm, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure where that would actually lead us. You know, any of these kinds of things that seem like thinly veiled nativist or purity struggles um, um, don't seem to be very productive. Part of which is because it's, they're based on, on, on inaccuracies, on, on some cases, straight up lies and falsehoods. Um, you know, I, I mean, it, it may very well be the case that I am more genetically similar to, to Dom, but he and I don't appear like, right. A number of ways his skin, I'm much fairer, right? I'm fair skinned. He's, he's brown skinned. Um, but we may actually be more genetically similar than I am to my wife, you know, who's another fair skinned person. Um, mm -hmm. that kind of variation uh, of genetic differences along a continuum um, I, I think for some people, maybe would make a difference um, that they can actually lay down the that that uh, that aim or agenda or goal of a period and can actually find that th there, there's quite a lot of hybridity that's already built into our life. Um, yeah. Uh, even my own struggle of finding, you know, am I white? Am I Latino? Am I one first and then the other? Uh, am I really? What am I? <laughs> Uh, and I came to a point where I had to accept I'm actually all of these. I'm all of them. Um, I can express all of them in, in some way. Yeah. Or yeah. I um, just that that thought in itself, it makes me feel 
that around Jesus and this and the, and the Gospels over time, that may be the the longest standing example of misinformation, malinformation, or disinformation because we're so departed oh, from yeah. Yeah. the truth and the reality of what Jesus' experience was when he he roamed the earth, when he was in the flesh, and uh, what he was teaching us to do, and and it's because we haven't done our due diligence to understand what what Jesus is talking about, what God is calling yeah. us to. And even in the images of Jesus, he's become so ubiquitous that he's become a white canvas, uh, not like racially white canvas, but a blank canvas where he's just a matter of, of people's expression um, and, and how they, they, they tend to, to worship him or even idolize whatever image that can be constructed of him. Um, and I think that's really an interesting direction where we, we have we've come in this discussion. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to unpacking. I've taken a lot of notes. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of threads that we can go down and rabbit holes where we can dig into and yeah, into that narrative. I say we revisit this, bro. Yeah. What do you think, Kingdom. Gabriella? I agree. I agree. I, I took a lot of notes too. <laughs> a lot of, um, a lot of things to unpack, like Carl said. I think it's very yeah. It, the conversation is could be endless, very extensive, and, and the different yeah. like avenues that it's taken, especially when it comes to race. But yeah, yeah, revisit. Yeah. yeah, most definitely. So if you could, Gabe, if you could at some point free up your time after the holidays <laughs> next year, twenty twenty two, we would love to have you back on the pod, bro, to uh, to dive into some of this stuff again. Um, Most definitely. It would be an honor. Yeah. Um, but I, I think what we've learned today uh, is that, yet again, there's a lot of misconceptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm talking to the audience here. Um, there's a lot of misconceptions. There always are. You know, we, we have these thoughts, opinions, and we bring them to the table. And a lot of times we don't have sound truth um, to, to help us correct some of those things. Um, and that's what we're here for. We're, we're here to help. We're here to tap people that know more than we do to kind of break some of these stuff down, some of these things down. Uh, and one of the biggest misconceptions is who is the savior we talk about when we speak about Christianity or the Bible? Who is the savior and what does he look like? Um, and obviously, uh, you know, what he's been painted to look like or be like uh, has been wrong for years. And that wrongness has man, had an impact on Black people, white people, all peoples. Uh, and it's still today having an impact on people's psyche or mindset. And it's actually doing the opposite of what it was intended to do. And it was intended to, to save people, to bring hope, uh, to bring freedom, to bring unity. Uh, what we see is the opposite of those things in our country. And... Um, Moving forward, we're going to dive into this more because I think there's a lot to unpack here. When it, when it comes to embracing matters of race, we have to first embrace God's mission. We have to first embrace what God is trying to do with the world yeah. um, and what God's unity looks like. Um, so hopefully you guys hang on. Please don't uh, you know, throw some of this stuff away. I pray that you chew on a lot of these things like we're chewing on them. 
Um, and if you have any questions, if you have any thoughts, please reach out to us. As always, uh, you can reach out to, to us on Instagram at embrace underscore podcast or our new Reddit um, that are embrace underscore M-O-R. Uh, we are always available and around to discuss, talk, um, just make yourself known. Say, hey, um, we, we, we love we would love to really hear from you guys on this topic here because um, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of discovery um, and just a lot to wrestle with as well. Uh, so we hope you guys reach out to us. So um, thank you guys for rocking with us. Uh, we pray that you have a very, very happy holidays and a great new year. And we'll see you in uh, 2022, I think. Peace. Thank you.